You're listening to podcast episode 43, my exclusive interview with global evangelist, author, Zig Ziglar protege and CEO of Sky Life Success, Krishna Dunham. Welcome to the Rock Your World Naturally Show, sharing God's prescription for total health in spirit, soul, and body. I'm your host, Rakesia McMillan, award-winning author, Air Force veteran, and total health coach. I'm passionate about sharing biblical truth, scientific research, and practical lifestyle approaches to help heal your world naturally. I'm your host, Rakesia McMillan, Certified Mental Health Integrative Medicine Provider. My assignment to the body of Christ is to share God's prescription for total health in spirit, soul, and body. If you'd like to know more about total health, you can visit my website at rockyourworldnaturally.com. You can visit me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Rock Your World Naturally. Thank you to all of our new and returning listeners. On today's show, I had the opportunity to host Krish Dhanam. Krish was born in Vizag in Andhra Pradesh and finished his formal education with an MBA at the Institute of Management Technology in Ghazabad. Equipped with that learning, he migrated in the U.S. in 1986 with his bride, Anila. Winning a sales contest in 1990 earned him a ticket to a seminar conducted by the legendary motivator Zig Ziglar. Through training, teaching, and facilitating seminars all over the world, Krish launched his professional speaking career. Krish has successfully delivered his message of hope, humor, and balance in 70 countries and six continents. Today, he's the CEO of Sky Life Success, co-founder of Krish Dhanam Training, and president of Mala Ministries, and served as a global adjunct with Ravi Zacharias. He is the author of The American Dream from an Indian Heart. His latest book, Hard-Headed and Soft-Hearted, was co-authored with Rick Belozo, former president of Microsoft. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome to the show, global evangelist, Zig Ziglar protege, author, and CEO of Sky Life Success, Krish Dunham. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to host you on the show today. I'm very much looking forward to this interview. Well, me too. I'm really glad that we made this connection. And uh, thank you for praying at the start. It always calms me when I get uh, nervous. (laughs) Oh, and you know, it's like the scripture says when it talks about be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication, prayer has that way of just kind of settling us and anchoring us in that um, space that he needs us to be in. Absolutely. Well, Krishna, before we get into the show, I usually open up with an icebreaker question. And if you could just let our listeners know, what are you doing in your world right now that is rocking your world naturally? Well, uh, preparation for uncertainty has been the order of this year. 
and uh, I happened to be an evangelist and a globetrotter, so being sidelined kind of made me anxious about what God was planning. But one of the words that came to me earlier during this pandemic was, unless you're uncomfortable, you will not be effective. Mm. So the thing that is rocking my world is forcing myself to be uncomfortable every day so I can be effective for him. That is so, so powerful. And I think that that resonates with so many, if not all of us, Krishna, because truly um, 2020 with uh, the global pandemic, COVID-19, it has truly uh, shifted us into that place of navigating into these new spaces and um, moving in these uncharted waters that we've never crossed or experienced before. So it's really challenging us in some ways that we've never been um, challenged before. And that's, uh, you know, there's an old adage that earthquakes and hurricanes get all the publicity, but termites do more damage. So no matter how big the problem, it is the small solutions that will bring us to the end. <laughs> so. Oh, and I love that. <laughs> we can certainly keep that in mind because that has pretty much been uh, 2020. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so Krishna, just um, reflecting on um, who God has called you to be and the work that he has called you to do. You are an evangelist. You are an author. Uh, you're a speaker. Uh, can you share with our listeners how your journey began and uh, how you got started with what, what you're doing now in your work uh, with the Lord? Yeah, I'd be honored to. I was raised, obviously, in a Hindu home. I came from a high priest background in rural India. And then, like most people, set my sights on the West, uh, married a girl and moved over here. And uh, somewhere through the journey, I managed to get employment with a man named Zig Ziglar, and he's the one who led me to Christ. And I had the rare privilege of being baptized with my son, uh, beginning this new journey, this new birth. But that was not enough. God had his hand on me, obviously, because not only did he take me to his cross, but eventually from his cross to about 75 countries globally. I came to America with $9 in my pocket a dream, and God has now allowed me to represent him in 75 countries on six continents. But the journey began with Mr. Ziegler, who looked at me one day when I was going through the issues of, will I always be marginalized? Will I always be a second-class citizen in a new country? Will my accent and my ethnicity and my identity prevent me from achieving whatever I want to achieve? And Mr. Ziegler used Acts 17.26 to tell me that we'll stand in front of a colorblind God. So our job as brothers and sisters is to offer each other colorful hope. And I had never heard words of simplicity give me such confidence. And I was off to the races. And like I tell people, before I knew there were problems, I had made it. <laughs> mm. I love that. And Zig Ziglar is one of our legendary motivators. And though he has passed on to glory, his um, words, his legacy is still speaking. And so you shared that he led you to Christ, came into a personal relationship with the Lord. And working with a man of God, such as Zig Ziglar, who was 
um, not only a man of God, but he was also a business-focused leader. What were some of the things that you were able to glean as you worked alongside of him, Krishna? Um, two things, uh, Rakesha, which uh, I still use today is, one was consistency. People have always asked me, what kind of man was he? And I said, what you saw is what you got. And if the dictionary ever went to just going pic with pictures, I would say that the word consistency would have the picture of Mr. Zig Ziglar. So he was the most consistent man I knew. So his advice was pertinent. Whether we were riding heights or whether we were lulling in the lows, he was always consistent. And the second thing he taught me was how to play the long game. When I asked him if I could become a speaker, he says, are you willing to be a 10-year overnight success? I said, what does that mean? He says, most people want to play the short game. They have small goals and they usually hit them. I want you to play the long game. I want you to take to the top and we'll miss a bunch of stuff, but we'll hit so much unexpected glory along the way. So the two things I learned from him, which I still use today after 30 years of being a speaker and trainer, is be consistent and play the long game. Mm. And I think that, you know, living in a world where we are surrounded by so many um, ideas of overnight success and just instantaneous gratification that so many individuals look for that. And so the wisdom that he shared with you, um, basically there are no shortcuts to success, but if you're willing to stick this out for the long haul, you'll have a lifetime full of success if you're doing it this way. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that I think if I look back in retrospect, he also said, Anytime life throws you a curveball and you're beaten down or your nose is bloodied and you, you hit rock bottom, he says, remember the date, remember the time and document it somewhere because God in his infinite wisdom will use that example of your life as an illustration to liberate someone else 25 years down the road. Mm -hmm. So it's the experiences that we go through are not only for ourselves but it's for someone else. And um, sometimes, you know, when we're going through those hard places, Krishna, when we're going through, whether it's a valley experience or whether we're climbing um, to the top of the mountain, when we um, think about the different obstacles and the things that we have to go, to, go through to get there, when we finally get there, um, it's important to remember again that that journey, that experience is not just for us, but it's for someone else. Yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, I think I like the way you put it because it's, it is for someone else. Uh, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking of Edwin Moses, the, the, I don't know why the spirit put his name in my mind, but Edwin Moses, who had won so many races over a career that was so demanding, you know, running middle distance hurdles. When people asked him, how did you succeed? He says, when I practiced, I knew it was going to hurt. So I cried before practice. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so good. I thought, you know, that's how you become a champion. You realize that when you have your lumps and your licks, that overcoming those are what become, allow you to grow from student to teacher. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about that. And 
you know, it's in those tears that um, whether they become, they come before or after, we can mm-hmm. know and, and know that, um, that there's joy that can come from those tears that we're shedding. Now, as you worked alongside of um, Zig Ziglar, so many things were instilled and um, poured into you to develop you as a leader. How are you using some of those things, whether it's in the business world, is it to develop and train, you know, other leaders? How do you use those things that you learned in the work that you're doing today? Well, I have two identities. Uh, For half the year, I work as an evangelist and an apologist in parts of India, parts of sub-Saharan Africa, and then Eastern Europe. And then the other six months of the year, I work uh, in the United States with my training company. But both both arenas call me to be a teacher of some kind. So in some parts of the third world, when I operate, uh, I do pastors' conferences, leadership, servant leadership events with the Maasai tribe, whatever it is. A majority of the pastors I work with in the underdeveloped parts of the world are bivocational, which means their churches cannot support them. So I go and teach them leadership skills, sales skills, customer service skills, negotiation skills, because they have to use that during the week before they get back to their congregation. Uh, And then in the corporate side, I continue on what I do. I write books on leadership. I've written curriculum. And during this COVID time, I've done 150 conferences, video conferences, and virtual keynotes. So um, I jokingly tell people, God has called me for half the year to work with the people who own yachts. So for the other half of the year, I can go serve the people who can only afford boats. (laughs) So he has you in a dual dual capacity in a sense as you is you're breaking up the year into serving, you know, different populations of of people. Right. And so with you um developing whether it's curriculum to train church leaders, pastors, um, ministries, Krishna, in all of your training and your developing of people, is there one specific area that you enjoy the most out of what you do? Uh, I Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I mean, thanks for that question, because ultimately, when you narrow it down, one of the things I tell people is, you know, one of the great preachers was Adrian Rogers, who was, I think, the teacher's teacher. But Adrian Rogers would always say, learn as if you will live forever, teach as if you will die tomorrow. So I always teach people to teach. I said, don't learn so that you will become great. Learn so that you can give it away so you can come back to learn to be great again. (laughs) So I always teach that pass through that learn and then teach someone else so that you have new opportunity to learn something else. Oh, absolutely. And that was just so the way of of Jesus Christ, he was always teaching, whether, you know, his disciples were around him, they're walking through city streets, and they're asking him certain questions, they're asking him, you know, rabbi, teacher, whether it's teach us to pray, or, you know, why couldn't we perform this miracle, and then Jesus always used those certain daily life experiences as teaching moments, and so as you share that, 
when you're teaching others, you're teaching them to continue the teaching because truly that was the way of Christ. Mm -hmm. And uh, our ministry, the one that I have, uh, was formed on 2 Timothy 2.2, which is what you have learned in the presence of many witnesses. Now go forth and teach others so they may teach some more. Uh, but that 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 conduit, I mean, I think we live in a knowledge economy right now, and they say that uh, the knowledge that we are gaining is, I mean, technically information is doubling every minute, but knowledge isn't, and wisdom is even more fleeting, because people are hanging on to that, and they're not, and the old, I think, you know, using a biblical illustration, there's a difference between the River Jordan and a Dead Sea. <laughs> <laughs> one empties out because it starts somewhere and empties somewhere. The Dead Sea is just a body of water. So I think within Christendom, we should be more like the river than the, than the Dead Sea. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Finding those spaces to continue to teach and to pour back into others is what uh, keeps that cycle continually going. Absolutely. One of the things that you have recently done in the midst of serving two different populations throughout the year and um, traveling throughout the world, that you have recently written a book entitled Twilight. Yeah, this was an ode to Mr. Ziegler. It's based on Acts 17.26, the scripture which he used to reach me many times. And the scripture simply goes, and this is from the New Living Translation, but from one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. And he would always use that to reach me. So I wrote seven principles in a small pocketbook. It'll take less than an hour to read. Uh, the book Twilight is available on Amazon. But um uh, just to give you a quick story on that as to why this book was important to write, we are going through a very unusual time of upheaval, and uh, there are many different people feeling marginalized and left out. Some people become oppressors, some people become the oppressed, but whichever way you look at it, our job is always to give the hope that we have. As Christians, you know, I'd say, First uh, Peter says, be ready to to have Christ in your heart, but be ready to give a defense, but do it with meekness and humility. And that's what Mr. Ziegler did to me. Amidst any trial I faced with meekness and humility, he used the word of God to lift me. So there's one story where in Dallas, there were about 65,000 people going to be coming to two different events over two days. And they were going to be legendary speakers there, like General Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice, the former First Lady Laura Bush, Troy Aikman, Roger Starbuck. I mean, who's who? This is a big, big gathering at the American Airlines Center and Reunion. And I was slated to be one of the speakers, and I was excited because Dallas is home, and I would get to speak four times in front of my home crowd, so most of the people I knew would hear me. But the organizers called and said, can you just, uh, Krish, we only can give you one 15-minute slot because it's really hard to juggle all these celebrities. My immediate reaction was, yeah, you're not going to cut a celebrity. You're always going to cut the lowly immigrant from India because that's what you people do. You know, that was my reaction. And Mr. Ziegler would not let me have that feeling. He called the organizers and said, this is my boy. This is his moment. I have raised him for today. 
I want you to take 15 minutes off my schedule at each of the locations and give it to him. And I ended up speaking to 65,000 people over two days and my career took off. So here's what I learned from a man who was raised in Mississippi, was born in Alabama, who bucked the stereotype and basically said that I'm going to defend you because I have called you to play the game. And I thought it was a very interesting way of exercising leadership, but that servant leadership meant he was willing to step out of his own limelight so the shad light would fall on me. That's a different level of thought thinking, you know? Mm-hmm. And you hit on the key word that I was going to mention, the fact that he was willing to say that I've helped to shape and mold and develop this young man for this moment right here. And because of that, I'm willing to sacrifice the time that was on his schedule in order to allow you to have space in that moment. And that is a true servant leadership's heart to um, do what is necessary to ensure that those who you are raising up or calling to move forward into the next generation that they have, whether it's a platform, whether it's the space that they need to be able to do what they've been called to do. And that's such a powerful, powerful moment. And absolutely, you know, when I look at it and people today ask me how I would define servant leadership in a biblical uh, visual, because I speak to a lot of groups as an apologist who are not followers of Christ. So I have to delicately talk in the academy in different countries where the very sophisticated want to ask you questions about why is Christ the only way and all that. But my definition of servant leadership as a visual is painted this way. I said, when you talk to people, bend so low that they can you cannot see their face, only their feet. So they look over you at the Christ who sent you. Mm. That is a powerful reflection of truly seeing the the witness and the power of Christ just in our our daily actions and the life that we live, our conversations, just everything pointing and directing back to him. And that's uh, and that's one of the things why when I when we went through this pandemic, my wife just reminded me the other day, she says, sweetheart, do you realize for someone who traveled as much as you did, you are now actually reaching more people because of your of your because of the fact that you're willing to get on all these audio and video calls. Uh, I've done about 150 of these Zoom calls, but even this morning, a group of people in India asked me, why would you come to your studio in Dallas in the morning at four o'clock to talk to us live when you could just record something? And I said, because that's the reason. I mean, I'm, I'm still humble that someone would ask me to be on their program. So I have never let my, my resume dictate my availability. And that's the Christian thing to do because God has never asked me for my ability. He's only asked me for my availability. Mm. And that just made me think when you said that there's a scripture that it talks about despise not or don't forget about our humble beginnings Mm -hmm. of where we have come from and just still remembering to reach back and to connect and to um, value people and to 
uh, still continue to fulfill what it is that God has called you to do without um, being caught up in pride, but really staying in that place of, of humility at the same time, being that servant leader that Jesus has called us to be. Yeah, in fact, Mr. Ziegler's mentor, a gentleman by the name of Fred Smith, who was also the mentor to John Maxwell, Fred Smith would always say, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking less often of yourself. So within Christ, we have to walk tall and act proud. We have to walk with a confident reliance and that healthy self-pride that comes because we have his mind and we have his we have the mind of Christ and we're created in the image of God, we can have that healthy self-pride. But humility requires us to abdicate false pride, which is vanity. And I think what we have an overabundance of in society today is false pride. Mm. You know, there's an old joke that some people would brighten up the whole room by leaving it. <laughs> so, some, <laughs> you know, so these are the people I try to, when I, when I talk to people, I tell them up front, I said, if you look at me and you look like someone's licked all the red off your candy, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I've there you go. <laughs> there you go. I love that. So in fact, last week we were in uh, Nashville and I usually do prison ministry there uh, because there are many prisons around there. I've done it for 30 years, but because of COVID prisons are closed down. So there's a halfway house where people have come out of prison. Some of them have been out for about nine months. Some of them just came out two days ago. But what we did is, you know, we did a small banquet for these 30 people, but I don't stop there. The next day I used some of these guys who had just come out of prison and we went and bought supplies for the homeless people up and down the Cumberland River. And the reason is I wanted inmates who had served time to see people who don't have a roof over their head and don't get three square meals a day. Because yes. just like someone is always doing better than you, the same thing happens. Someone is also doing worse than you. Oh, uh, you absolutely. And unless we recognize both, we're not, we're always going to be bitter about one side or the other. So that is so so true, so true. And just like um, Mr. Zig Ziglar, he inspires you to become a speaker, to become a trainer. How did you get into apologetics? Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, there were some apologists uh, on the horizon. One of the ones that I found quite early in my life was a gentleman by the name of R.C. Sproul. He came from the Reformed tradition. He had a program called Renewing Your Mind. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, of course, the late Ravi Zacharias, who passed away, had a program called Just Thinking. Uh, William Lane Craig was a little more cerebral. His was called Reasonable Faith. Now, all of these people approached it from a different angle. R.C. Sproul came at it from a purely academic tradition where he would explain things in a very, uh, very systematic way. And you could actually hear him with a chalk on a blackboard in the back of his podcast or whatever you would listen to. Uh, Ravi Zacharias was a moral apologist. He talked about different things. William Lane Craig actually took on some of the great theoretical arguments, even, you know, big, big advocate of the cosmological argument and stuff. Now, the reason I did that was the same reason when I became a speaker, I, I did not just want to compete, I wanted to win. 
So when I became an evangelist, I said there are many people who can go and do the evangelism, which is the heart. Very few people are delving into the head. John Stott, who wrote The Cross of Christ, said in order to make an accurate defense, we need both evangelism and apologetics, which are two sides of the same coin. And uh, as much as I love the evangelism argument and I can make a good case for it, the apologetics actually forces me to wake up in the morning and dive into scripture, not just for what it's saying to me, but if it went through me, what, how could I defend it against the Muslim? How could I defend it against the Hindu? How could I defend it against all the other isms? And so that's why I went down this path because I come from a Hindu background and uh, most of my people I talk to are people who are mired in tradition. So they wanted to know whether I'd become a Christian because I'd come to America and I sold out to the West. And I said, no, I went through it. I've, so I've actually, Rakesh, I've studied Islam. I've studied Buddhism. I've studied Hinduism. I've studied a lot. I actually do a four-hour lecture on worldviews where I, where I actually know more about what other people believe than they probably know they believe themselves. So. And that's so good that we have to be knowledgeable about what others do believe when it comes to their faith, because we do have to be in that position where the word of God says that we should answer every man according to the hope um, that is within us. And so in the area um, of apologetics, is there one um, area that you find that is the area that is focused on the most or the, the questions that arise the most um, when you are defending the gospel? Yeah, the number one question you will always get is, why does a good God allow bad in this world? Why is there pain in this world if there is hope in eternity? And what they want to do is they want to talk about the moral law of God without the moral law giver. And so we, we, the defense is basically the problem in this world, for example, is not the pain that people are experiencing. I think the pain they have is because they have exhausted ways to have pleasure. <laughs> so, you know, we have found we have exhausted every which way to keep ourselves happy. So we are now and that's part of the free will argument. But just to give you an idea, some of the there's a gentleman by the name of Peter Kraft, and he's a professor at uh, was a professor at Boston University, again a brilliant apologist. But Peter Kraft would put it this way: He says every worldview tries to work towards God because if God is on a mountain, we have to do something to get to Him. The Christian worldview is unique because it's the only worldview out there of all the worldviews that are practiced where God said, you're not good enough to get to me, yet you're not bad enough to stay away from me. I'm going to get off the mountain and come down and get you. Mm -hmm. um, every worldview has sorrow at the center and an outworking to find some joy. Christian worldview has joy at the center and an outworking to conquer the sorrow. So there's a fundamental difference in the way the belief in a risen savior versus the fact that all other worldviews, their heroes are still in the tomb. Mm, that is such a powerful, powerful revelation when it comes to, you know, the gospel of, of Jesus Christ and the message of, of hope that it presents to those who are you know, still undecided about the direction to take in the area of faith and knowing that we have a loving God who's able to reach into any situation wherever you're at to come down 
right where you are. And that's, I mean, for me, I mean, when people ask me globally, what is the one revelation you got from being a practicing Christian or an evangelist? And I always tell them this. I said, one day I woke up and I realized God doesn't need me. He wants me. He doesn't need me. He created the universe, but he wants me, which means he chases me. So most people who say I've came back to God don't admit the fact that God didn't move. <laughs> they did. <laughs> Absolutely. That is a powerful, powerful truth. He's he's right there <laughs> where he has he been is. all of the time. And so, Krishna, for those that are listening today who want to know more about the ministry that God has called you to, your books, where can they find you out there um, on the web? Well, Krish Dunham, that's just K-R-I-S-H, that's Krish, and Dunham, D-H-A-N-A-M. So KrishDunham.com is the number one website where you can find me. But if you just type in my name, Krish Dunham, or some version of it and put Indian Motivational Speaker, you'll hit me. <laughs> because I'm, uh, very few people have my name. But I have a YouTube channel and all the other good stuff where other stuff is populated. But um, I'm quite active on social media to the degree that my team will allow me to act, but I do respond to everything uh, personally if messages are sent to me or emails. I have a training company called Sky Life Success. I have a ministry called Mala. But if you went to krishdunham.com, I think that would be the gateway to lead you to all the other things we do. Excellent. Are there any parting words that you would like to leave for our listeners today, Krishna? Well, uh, one of the things that uh, I, is a quote that I came up with some years ago, and most times when I do one of the shows and I'm asked this question, I always leave them with this, that you cannot be everything to everyone, but today for someone out there, you are all they have, so be ready. Mm, <laughs> outstanding, outstanding. And it has been my pleasure to host you on the show today and I just pray that God would continue to bless the work of your hands as you um, share the message and the light of, of Jesus Christ all around the world Krishna thank you so much for having me on your show it's been a joy and an honor God bless you God bless you too For speaking engagements, health tips, and total health education and inspiration, visit rockyourworldnaturally.com and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, Rock Your World Naturally, and on Twitter, Rock Your World 28.